y'all. It's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. The Dune movie may have been delayed, but not the game Dune Imperium. The game may not have Sting in it, but it has lots of other spicy things the guys can't wait to tell you about. The guys will also discuss the classic game Lord of the Rings and the historical two-player game Shores of Tripoli. Finally, they hit the newswire with some of the latest tabletop news. Marty wrote this intro. Welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 214. I think I've lost track. We may be on 270 by now because we've been inserting episodes. And anyway, but this is All This Time, I'm Tony. <laughs> My Lord. You, you just can't come in and do a simple intro. You're a wild man sometimes when you start. It's like when you hit record, you're off and running. This is Marty, by the way. We got to get it going. Got to get that energy going because before we got started, my wife made sure that instead of walking in while we recorded, she gave me a cupcake. Well, oh, uh, nice. Yeah, this is her chocolate cake recipe, and it includes, she tried a new icing out, and it was a um, Swiss meringue type icing that she's been doing, and she's been trying, and that was in the last episode you and I recorded, where she mm-hmm. brought me multiple types of uh, icings, where I dumped one of them on my keyboard, and you thought it was hilarious, which, by the way, I can still lick my keyboard and get plenty of taste out of that, even after <laughs> all this time. Um, but this is also an homage to... Your recent show that released the day after we record this, so this would have been. Oh, who cares? You released. You and Vanessa had a great show, and I'm oh, back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> On November seventeenth, we released our next at the table with Kim Joy from the Great British Baking Show. So yes, that's that's the little timeline that we're dealing with here. But yes, the look cupcake looks great. Uh, I would love to try it. Um, I am trying to avoid all the heavy stuff, the bad stuff, until Thanksgiving. I'm I'm back counting points again this November, December to make sure I don't bloat over the holidays, which is what I typically do. We were doing so well until she actually got an order for a cake. Someone paid her to make this cake for someone's uh, congratulations on graduating from some school. Matter of fact, I posted it over on her Instagram, which mm-hmm. uh, I'm just like, here you go. That's what she's doing. And maybe she'll get more of these, but it's nothing to retire. Cause I did not realize how much it costs to bake a cake from scratch. You just don't realize that. And the ingredient, she was totaling it up. And it's like for the eggs, the sugar, the, um, oh, what was it? The chocolate baker's bars and all this other stuff. The cake was like $20, $30. I'm like, I can walk into Sam's, Costco, Walmart, and buy a, <laughs> a sheet cake for $12. This makes no sense to me. Again, I'm impressed with anybody that can bake like that. It was great talking to Kim Joy. It's just amazing what these people can do. And one of the people that I love to follow on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, do you know at Sugar High Score, a yep. lady out in, I believe it's Washington that makes these, or you've seen it, these oh, cakes. Yeah. I, I'm like, I've contacted her, sir. Why aren't you on some competition shows? And it's like, I just, I just, that's not my type of person to go into one of these shows. Dude, she could win. Mm-hmm. She could. I mean, she recently, she, I think, just did the um, new Xbox, whatever number yep. it is. She did that cake. And she could. She she puts Buddy and Duff and all those to shame, in my opinion. But yep. fondant is is a skill and an art. Fondant? I, fondant. <laughs> I, <laughs> fondant. <laughs> fondant. 
Uh, first <laughs> off, you're not supposed to eat that crap. It's pretty nasty. It is nasty. So, uh, but uh, by the way, if you're not following her, make sure to follow her on Twitter at Sugar High Score, and she also has a YouTube channel. If you want to see some of the amazing cakes that she makes, she makes cakes that are themed around video games and but and board games also. And she puts out tutorials on all of it because Donna and I will watch them so that she can yep. see how things are done. And she's like, "Wow, that's a lot of wasted cake." Which <laughs> 360 all the way back to. That's why I have cupcakes. She baked a cake and she had extra. That's why I get a cupcake or I wouldn't have to be counting points as well. By the way, what's the name of this episode? I missed that when you were ranting early on about what number it was. All this time. All this time. Mm-hmm. I don't know that song. Uh, it's by Sting. Okay. One of his solo solo songs? Mm-hmm. Fields of Gold, the album. Okay. I'm, maybe I'll know it. Which came out in 1984, which was the same year of the release of the movie Dune, which we will be talking about tonight. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> nice tie in there. Who Sting starred in that movie? Yes. Yeah. Which I never saw. You didn't miss anything. Oh, that was a bad movie. <laughs> well, hopefully the, the new one's going to be good. If it ever gets released. Hey, good news today, though. Another vaccine uh, looks like it has 95% efficiency now and can be stored in an uh, regular refrigerated units that's normally done for vaccines. That's big. It's huge. That is. And eventually you'll get it uh, in 2021, 2022, whenever it happens after the it mutation. It is not 2020. They said on the radio, on the report, on NPR, that they're probably going to have doses going out to healthcare workers in December. Okay. Well, good for them. Hey, whenever they mutate, I'm good with that. Oh, here we go. Just let it happen. Get things back to normal so we can eventually play some games that require four or more players. <laughs> yeah, because we're, you're staring at one right now, aren't you? That, yeah. uh, that the new release of Sidereal Confluence from WizKids Games. You you like that game when we first played. I was surprised. They sent us the new edition and then we realized, oh, it takes four players, and we struggle to get uh, four play. Well, we can't. We can't get four players together right now, so we don't know when we're going to get that game to the table. It needs to be soon. I read the rules. That means I got to re- go back and reread the rules, and <laughs> we now know that I'm not a good rule reader. Yes, I'm looking forward to getting that played. Okay, mm-hmm. and I started watching uh, one today that we hope to get to the table in the future. And right now, the name is blanking is from Rio Grande. They sent us this Beyond the Sun. I believe that was it. Yes, I'm ex- I'm excited about that. Uh, that looks like a really cool game with like a tech tree. It's very cool. I was watching uh, John, John Gets Games. Yep. And he was going through it and I was like, okay, this isn't bad. But so, so get this. This is, I always love this. And I don't know how often this happens to board game manufacturers, publishers. So I'm opening the box and I'm, I'm going in there, get that rule book, getting ready to cross-reference it. And it's one sheet. I went, Mm. oh, this cannot be. It's one sheet. How hard can this game be? And I'm watching John and I'm like, some of it, this isn't at, this is just the the, um, variation setup and how to set it up for three players. Something's not right here. Rio Grande Games, Beyond the Sun, download the rule book. Oh, it wasn't in my box. The book rule book wasn't in your box? No. So, you know, we got an early copy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's why they need to put these rule books online. Yeah. It also saves trees. Going back and looking at the full ru- rules, do you think it's complicated? Because I think we're supposed to play that this week. Uh, no, it's not complicated. And we're not supposed to play that this week. Oh, we're not? No, because we played it last two weeks when this show comes out. This week, when people hear this show, we will have decided to play something else. 
So last Thursday when the show comes out, is that when we played it? Uh, no, that would have been two weeks. Because remember, we record. Oh, wait. Well, the show come out. Yeah, the show will come out. So yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah. See, we're all in this time loop thing. So what did we play two weeks ago that I should prepare for three days from now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought we were going to play the Bezier game that you have, Whistle Mountain. Oh, Whistle Mountain. Yeah, I don't know. We got a lot of stuff to play. And is anything game, any game that supports three people. But we did get on the table another game from Rio Grande Games called Blue Skies. Mm -hmm. I did not call the show that because I wanted to really tie in that Sting reference to Dune. You could have easily done Mr. Blue Sky. I could have, but I wanted, <laughs> I really wanted the Sting reference. I really okay, worked it. hard at it. that. So we played uh, Blue Skies from Rio Grande game. And first off, this was probably one of the second worst teaches teaching ever done by rolling dice and taking names. The first goes back to the Ragusa teach of longest road with watch it played. Fair. I'll give you that one. Okay. This one comes to my blue sky where sentences at the end of paragraphs on steps were completely missed completely. And it changed the game immensely. Yeah. <laughs> so we played our first game and, and we were, we were sitting there going, Something's not right. <laughs> and we're all, and I'm going, read this, Marty. Read this. <laughs> and I read it and still missed the one sentence rule that we were missing. So what, what is this game? So you have airports all over the United States. You are running an airlines. You're buying gates at these airports and trying to get customers to come to your gates in order to make money. The person the most money wins. That's kind of the whole thing that's going on, right? Yes. But yes, there were some very important things about how income works, how you calculate your income that went right over us, except for this one important sentence that says, oh, by the way, whenever you add or lose gates or no, whenever you add or lose passengers, adjust your income. We weren't doing that, which really threw, a cur threw us a curveball because we couldn't keep anything straight at that point. And I don't know why we kept missing it. I think we got so hung up in because on, on your turn, we're all, everybody does step one. Then everybody does step two and then does step three where step one is everybody will go out and they have $6 to spend. Now, nowhere is this income tracked, this money. You just know that you have $6. Everybody has it. And you can use that money to go purchase as many gates as you want during play. And when you do that, if there are passengers in this airport, then they are adjusted and shift it around based on the explanation in the rules on how you do that. So mm -hmm. that we were get, we were hung up on that because we yeah. are so used to games and having to track income versus points versus an income tracker. And, and I think that just caused us vapor. Yeah, it did. So yeah. Well, so like you said, when you put a new gate down, you try to evenly distribute whatever passengers are in that airport as much as possible. And for every passenger you have, your income is increased by one. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were messing up on because, Tony, if you had a gate and I placed one of my gates at that same airport, you would lose a passenger, I would gain one. Your income should go down and mine should go up. It's always easy to go back and look at the map and see what exactly that your income is. I think the thing that threw me and Bert off was it's odd that you had this income tracker but that's not the income that you use to purchase gates. No. You just always have six to spend and you can buy out at gates. There's, there's anytime uh, you sometimes see the board uh, with new passengers and there's just a generic 
uh, airline that manages that gate, but you can buy them out. But the, the buyout cost is always a tad higher. Mm-hmm. So like you said, everybody's going to just go spend six and then put out your new gates. And again, the whole goal is to try to get as many passengers at your gates as possible. And the way you do the passengers is you'll play a, a passenger card for an airport and you will pull cubes from the bag. Now, in these cubes, they're red or green. Christmassy, May, that's kind of seasonal. But if you pull a green passenger, you reach in the bag and you pull another red. But you place them on these gates, making sure that they are evenly distributed across the gates that are owned. When you're done with that, you're recalculating the scores. So for instance, you and I are at the Atlanta airport. Um, The first airport uh, may be owned by you. The second one may be owned by me. And if I and we both have a passenger, I pull out a green one, you would get it. I pull out a red one, I would get it. But let's just say I pull out another green one. Then you and I both have two passengers at our gates. And then Mm -hmm. I pull out another red, you get it. And Mm -hmm. so we were sitting there on the first play. We we were just so off the rails. It was unreal. Forget the first play. Let's talk about the real play where we played it correctly. And so these demand cards help you score your points. They're, They're how you set your points. Also, the demand cards, too, is like, well, I've got this airport in my hand where I know I can put out... Uh, passengers. So during the buying phase, you may decide I'm going to buy a gate at that airport, knowing that I'm going to play this demand card and put a passenger there. Mm -hmm. And there's only so many cards per airport. And you can see that on the board, everything is laid out for you in the board. And we'll talk about the graphics of the board in a minute. And then the next phase, we will come out and oh my goodness, you will turn over a card, a passenger demand card from the deck based on the number of players. And then you fill up those airports accordingly. Adjusting income if need be. If need be, because that's an important rule. Very important (laughs) rule. That's right. And if if nobody owns a gate at that Phoenix airport, then the government owns that airport or that airport owns that gate. And therefore, um, it makes that suddenly have a buyout to it. And so now you have to think, okay, well, do I want to go buy that in the next round? And you keep doing that. And there's other rules in there about uh, government grants and things like that. And Marty, one of the things uh, at the end scoring, you know, you've been tracking all these passengers you've had continuously. Mm-hmm. But at the end, if you have dominant dominance in a certain region, person with the most dominance gets X points, person in second gets the next set. And you're adjusting score. And you mean dominance is the number of gates in that region. So you go through like the Southeast region mm-hmm. and they're color coded. Count all your gates in that region compared to everybody else. Yeah. Multiply by the number of points on the airport. So if I got two gates at Atlanta and, yeah. and, Atlanta, and you have one, Atlanta's worth, let's just say three points. I don't know what it is. I don't have the board in front of me. Then I've got six points and you have three. And then we just mm-hmm. sum them up. Whoever has the most gets that number of points added to their victory point. Person with the most victory points wins. And you talked about the graphics earlier. And this is one of those things that uh, when you look at the board, uh, it basically, it's a big white board with a very light United States map on the in the background. And then mainly, it's just tables. You know, each mm-hmm. city or airport is basically a table with grids on it, right? With some information about, you know, what it, what's it cost to build here, the buyout cost. Uh, it, they're each one's color-coded to a specific region. So when you look at the board, it looks kind of plain. And then when you put these colored cubes on it, it's, it's one of those things that if you walk by, it really wouldn't catch your eye. And I was confused by that. And, and so I reached out to Rio Grande Games. I said, I don't understand why this is kind of such a plain board. And they were really nice and wrote back, well, here's, a th- here's why. I'm just going to read pretty much verbatim what they said. They said, we struggled with this board. 
We tried many different concepts and nothing really worked. By the time you add the colored cubes, you're talking about the green and red cubes, and the colored markers to the board, which are basically your, your markers for your airport gates, it was very distracting. Putting colors on the cube spaces made people think that the cubes had to match the colors. And then there's color cues, C-U-E-S, for the regions, which I mentioned. I understand what you're saying, but a simple design was really the only option here. It's clean and functional. And the cubes on the white background works for colorblind people. So that was another consideration. They said, you'll notice that the cubes are a light green, which can be easily distinguished from red. So I just thought it was really interesting where sometimes we think, oh, they just didn't put much effort into this. No, they just put a lot of time into the graphic design trying to figure out how to lay out this board. And they did it what was best for the players to be able to understand what was going on. So I'm glad I asked that question because sometimes we just sweep things under the rug. Oh, they were lazy and just didn't do, do anything with it. No, they tested and tested and tested and this was the best functional board they came up with. Yeah, and Lindsay Davia pointed that out to us on a recent uh at the table. She talked about how mm -hmm. that graphic design is all put in there. And I think back when I read that email, I was like, you know, how many times do I have to explain ticket to ride people to ticket to ride people? Okay. The colors on the board and your trains don't, don't get hung up on that. Mm -hmm. Right. So you got red trains and there's red tracks. That doesn't mean that you put your red trains on the red tracks. That's not what that means. And I, and I was thinking, wow, Dang, they did think about this, didn't they? Yeah. And they made it yep. easier for me to have to explain. I don't have to worry about that. And I think anybody that's taught Ticket to Ride is a great example. I get that question all the time. I remember teaching my parents. They could not understand why the color of the train didn't have to match the color of the track. So that's why I kind of see where they went with this, just, just to make it as easy as possible. By the way, we didn't mention also, basically at the end of every round, whatever your current income is, you add that to your victory points. And the first to get to 100 will trigger the end of the game, or if you put out all your airports. So every round, basically, your income's going up, going down a little bit, and you just keep a running tab every round, and the, it's a race to 100, pretty much. And the only thing I want to say about uh, finish out Blue Skies is a lot of reflection after the first play, a lot of reflection after the second play on this game, and I was like, okay, so this is not one of those games that we're going to bring out on heavy board game night. But I started thinking about it, and I'm like, this is one of those type of introductory games that I can see mm. putting on the table for, for Donna or, or people who really don't you know, understand the manipulation and trying to do area control. So that is something to, be, to consider here. Blue Skies, Rio Grande Games, uh, John Huber. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name is the designer of this. So I was glad we got to play it. I apologize. I apologize to you. I apologize to Bert mm. for probably the second worst Rolling dice and taking names, board game teach, and our history of doing this. It was pathetic on my part. And, and yet, you still want me to teach another game. I just don't understand. Wasn't it you, you sent me the article about the, the person, who, uh, John, John, who designed mm -hmm. this, about where, how it was inspired by 18xx games mm -hmm. and trying to make a very, very simple version of that. So, I mean, that's what this is. A very, very simple, the idea of kind of like controlling income, trying to build things to increase your income. I think this is a good entry level to that. I think you put a little bit of a cherry on top with the uh, area majority, because mm -hmm. uh, that's just something else you need to think about um, as you do it. And by the way, the game plays in under an hour. So if you're looking for a, a, you know, a lightweight Euro, it's pretty straightforward. The rounds are pretty much the same thing every single time as you're racing to 100. You could easily get it done in one hour. And you're right. I think it is a good introductory game to... Uh, 
people who maybe haven't played this type of game. Thankfully, we did not do a Twitch stream of us trying to do this game. Could you imagine us on Twitch with this game? Well, I, I had better because uh, I'm going to be trying a Twitch stream on Black Friday, which is the day after Thanksgiving, which is November the 27th. So Vanessa's brother, Bob, is going to be here uh, visiting with us. And he's the one that always plays Arkham Hearth 3rd Edition with us. So we're going to actually going to try to stream us playing one of the scenarios from the new expansion, Underdark Ways, which we've already reviewed. I'll be posting some times when we're going to have that happen. It's going to be sometime in the afternoon, Eastern time. This is going to take two or three hours. So it's not going to be quick, uh, but you can come in and, and hang out and you know, it's one of those things, we're just going to turn on the camera, probably nobody's going to be there. But you just never know, Tony, because I, I ran a test this you past... Did. Uh, you I did. I ran a test this past Friday. So we got Blood Bowl uh, second season uh, from Games Workshop that uh, I want to check out. So first thing, I got to get all these teams together. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna, I, we were going to stream in the basement. I said, let me set everything up and see if I can even, if Twitch is going to be handled on Wi-Fi with my laptop, et cetera. I turned on the camera and I started going. And then people started coming in and watching and interacting with me and stuff. And I went for three and a half hours oh my on gosh. this stream. Yeah. But there was always a handful of people there just hanging out. I'm like, <laughs> I got to the point, why are you people here? <laughs> because I was literally just sniffing things and talking to myself as I put stuff together. And some of them were like, like uh, Mac Thatcher, you know, is a you oh, know, listener Matt, of, our, of our show. Mac's a great guy. Yep. He was playing a solo game of uh, Marvel Champions. Ooh. And he said, I'm just hanging out here playing Marvel Champions. I'm just kind of watching what you're doing inside as I play this. And other people just kind of come in and out. So it was fun. The unfortunate thing was I got so into what we were chatting about because the uh, chat would come up and I'd just start talking. I only finished one model. In three and a half hours, I finished one model. Now, I did fight with another one for two hours. Okay. And I finally think I fought, not two hours, hour and a half, and I think I finally got it fixed today. I used a little too much plastic cement, Tony. When I used a little too much plastic cement, the plastic gets really, really soft. Uh-huh. It and, does. And uh, the glue wouldn't hold. It was so tacky. You went outside. I actually had to pull apart two pieces and let them dry for two days so the plastic would reharden. And just tonight, I went down and tacked it back together. So hopefully to hold this time. So I got two questions. You got two questions. Yes. All right. So the first question is, so on, I was going to ask you because I read your comments on our Discord channel, which if you're not a member of our Rolling Dice and Taking Names Discord, please jump over there. Uh, we just finished up the October giveaway as well as Marty is now posting games for sale over there. And I'll be doing that as well, too. You'll be able to get a game for free, but you have to include shipping and handling. <laughs> well, here it is. Get a game for free, not including shipping and handling. There you go. <laughs> no, no. What is it? Uh, get a game for free. Shipping and handling, not included. Shipping and handling. So basically, you're paying for the shipping. So we're going to start listing out uh, some games that we have that uh, we've maybe covered before and don't get a lot of love, and we want them to get love. And basically, you just pay for shipping, and we'll send it to you. And the shipping is generally going to be a express box, U.S. express box. Yeah, a priority mail. Yeah, priority, priority mail. express, which is going to be 15 to 20 bucks. Yeah, here anyway, in the I'm US. sorry. Go no, ahead. No, so... When you said you were chatting with people on Twitch, I'm like, no, wait a minute, I thought Twitch was just a one-way thing, but you were talking about uh, comments were coming up. Yes, yeah, just on the Twitch chat. Okay, because I was going to say, does Twitch have some type of Zoom Teams feature going oh. on that I don't know? Okay, good. Yeah, just Twitch chat. That was question number one. What was number two? Well, uh, now I got a, a 1A. Well, that was 1A. This is 1B. No, well, okay, 1A. This is 1B. So this is going to be, so if you want me to do this Twitch thing someday, you're going to have to walk me really up. 
through this because I've already I started a month and a half ago and I've stopped. So we'll, we'll get there with me. And two, did you not put models together as a kid? I did. Yes. I thought you did. And did you not ever get enough of that nice smelling cement on your models to the point where it got really flimsy plastic and it wouldn't yeah. stick? Okay. So you didn't learn your lesson back then. I was really struggling with this mo- one model because uh, this model is of an ogre. His foot's on the base. And that is the only contact point for this model is this one foot. And it's a kind of a bit bigger model. And his ankle, his teeny little ankle is supposed to be glued to his little leg. So the contact points for the two glue points are super small. That's going to hold this entire weight of this model. Mm, okay. And and then you couldn't get the angle right because his, his ankle is supposed to be tilted. I don't know. I was just very frustrated with it. But... Yeah, so anyway, the test was an epic failure because the bandwidth down there is not good enough to support a live stream. The laptop's probably too weak. So I will actually be setting up table in here in the studio where I record our podcast and we'll be streaming from here. So if my upload is crappy, then this is not a good thing. Correct. But it was probably also my laptop, which was my work laptop, which is like five years old. It was kind of struggling. It was like it was peaking at 30 and 40 percent CPU usage. So it's, it might probably it was a couple of things. I have a weak Wi-Fi signal down there anyway. I need to do what you're thinking about doing and getting a mesh network mm-hmm. uh, to cover the house. But that may have been part of the problem. But also I already had the lights and everything up in this room, too. So that was saving me how to carry them down. So, yeah. yeah. And that reminds me, I need to get that ring light because if we do this yep. special Ravensburger thing that's coming up, I might want to do that, shouldn't I? Yes, you want to want a ring light. In fact, that's how I'm lit from the right side of my face right now is this little ring light over to the right of me. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm going to have to do this, I'm going to, I guess I need some type of, because I can't be shadowed like I like being. I can't be hidden. <laughs> and if you get a ring light, you can start doing makeup uh, YouTube videos of how you apply makeup because most people use a ring light for that. Uh, yeah, I saw that because that's always the ad. And I'm like, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah yes. there's not enough of makeup in this world to hide this face. I'm going to tell you that much right now. So you remember I, I, I talked about Mac playing uh, Marvel Champions while I was uh, putting together these models. So today I got to try out Ant-Man. Just got it from Fantasy Flight Games. I try to get every hero that comes out because I want to try them all. Let me tell you what. Once again, they've done an amazing job of creating yet another hero that is totally different than all the others. Have you seen the uh, what the unique thing about the Ant-Man hero is? About he can go giant and tiny? Yes, I have. The card flips. Unfolds. Yeah, unfolds. Yeah, Roy Kennedy did a did from uh, the Dice Tower. He did a Instagram thingy on that. Yep. So basically, you have your alter ego side, and you can flip to your hero side in tiny form, which is just the normal card size. And if you go to giant, you unfold the card. It is really cool the different things that you can do because when you're in tiny form, it allows you to draw cards and thwart better. And when you're in giant form, it allows you to maybe heal a little bit of damage and also deal a lot of damage. But the interesting thing is, in Marvel Champions, once per turn, you can flip from alter ego to hero or hero to alter ego for free. This adds the caveat, you can flip from alter ego to tiny, alter ego to giant, or from tiny to giant or vice versa. So what this does is add one additional state Right now, you only have two states, alter ego, hero. But now you have alter ego, giant, tiny. And I'm saying this because 
it can create some serious AP. And I experienced that day because I have all these cards, these upgrades in place that says, well, you know, if you change from giant to tiny, you get this particular benefit. And when you're in tiny mode, you could do this over here. And it's like, oh, look, here's a card that just lets me change from one to the other, but that's not my free mode. So in this mode, I want to start out in giant, then go to tiny, then go back to giant so that I can activate these two things. The combos with Ant-Man is crazy. So if you play Marvel Champions and you like combos, I really recommend checking out Ant-Man. Wasp may be the same way. I'm not sure, but she has that folding card too. The only thing is get ready because when you have a lot of combos and adding this extra state in a state machine using programming turns, uh, it just makes things way more confusing as far as the options that you have. But Ant-Man is, is really good. They haven't put out a bad one yet. There's only like one or two that I probably won't play anymore but they just continue throwing these things out. You need to play some, man. Well, then the ones you're not going to play anymore, why don't you just give them to me? I might need the uh, aspect cards that came with them. Oh, okay. See, yeah, someday I would like to play that game. Someday I would like to be able to meet with you and ha sit down at a table and play a lunchtime game. You, do you remember those days when we would do that? Uh, you can do that at uh, limited restaurants around the area. Moe's? We've done that before. Yeah, but you got to use your credit card to pay for everything. Because is the coin shortage still going on? Yes, of course you got to use credit card. Who uses cash anymore? I do. How do you track cash for your budgets? How do you know where money's spent? I don't need to. I, do, I know how much allowance I get a week. Mr. Moneybags no. over here. No. I don't need to know where my money goes. No, all I'm saying is if I get X amount of allowance a week... Then I, if there's if I open my wallet and there's no cash in there, I have spent my budget for the week. Okay. I mean, that's, you know, that, that is actually a, a method that some people use that they'll take out X amount of dollars and they'll say, once this is gone, that's it for the week, the month, whatever. And that's how they control their budget, which is actually, you know, it works very well for some people. But mm -hmm. I, I'm happy Green Goblin is showing back up in stores and I can go pick that up at our local game store. We played him today. I think today is the first time we beat uh, him on the mutagen, mutagen something. There's two versions of Green Goblin. One of them is a piece of cake. One of them, once you understand how it works, we can roll him so super easy. It's the other one, Mutagen, Contagion, or something like that, that we finally beat today. He's a, he's a tough one. Mm. And I just want to get some of the heroes that I like. Like, I asked you, which one would you would you get um, Doctor Strange or the Hulk? Well, or or do, we, yeah, do you want to beat him down? Do you want him to do this? I don't, I don't know. I just want to have fun. Doctor Strange is cool. Hulk is pretty much straightforward smash. He just doesn't have a lot of resources in his hands. He has to discard his hand his uh, when he's ever he's in hero phase. So resource management is tough for him. Strange is fun because he has this second deck, which is basically like a spell deck. Okay. All right. So I, that sounds... Now, you, you mentioned those tokens uh, in there. And I saw uh, on Instagram, and they said, do you ever have a problem with just having flat tokens? And I'm like... Yes. Flat tokens? What do you mean flat? When I say flat is, you know how you want that tactile feeling where you want them to stand out? Not flat, like physically flat. Okay. So let's try this again. Okay. Cardboard punch out. Yes. But you want more to it than just the regular old flimsy cardboard that it comes oh, with. Okay. Okay. You want, you want to enhance your, that. Just like we did recently when we went to the BGG um, site and you picked up Imperial Settlers special tokens. tokens yep. And I picked Acrylic up the wings, yeah. And I picked up the wingspan tokens. Well, the, somebody was showing, and I, I was watching the video, and it may have been YouTube, it may have started on Instagram. Heck, I don't know. I, either way, he was showing that you can buy not mod podge, 
but there is a series of that that gives a 3D effect. And he was showing how he will color the edges of a token with like black Sharpie or whatever. And then he'll take this stuff and he'll drop it on there. And it has such, um, what is, what's the surface tension? The surface tension? Viscosity. Viscosity. The viscosity, the surface tension. And it creates this thicker feel to it, kind of like a pebble. Okay. And he was doing it with the um, Marvin Champions tokens. And he says, you can do these with any of those, and they enhance them. They make them glossy. They make them really cool looking. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go do that. I'm not playing the game. I might as well enhance the game. I, I want to see how that works. Let me know how, what that does for you. Because I'm one of those that does go out and buy like acrylic tokens from mm-hmm. Etsy. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I just like upgraded tokens because the cardboard just wears out after a while. There's this one place that I go to and get everything. It's like for Arkham Horror and for uh, Marvel Champions. It's a place over in the UK that we found that we really like. There's a thing, though, that kind of bothers me, though, especially with the Arkham Horror token. The damage tokens are in denominations of one, three, and five. I have a strong issue with tokens being one and three instead of one and two. So for example, these Etsy tokens that we get, it's one on one side and three value on the other. I would much rather have a one and a two. I couldn't figure out why, Tony, until I did an analysis of this. Okay. So most people are probably going to think here, right? Well, obviously you want one and three so you could count higher, which I agree. But typically in these games that we're playing, Arkham Horror, Marvel Champions, 10 is probably a max at the most that you'll ever need. For example, if you need a two and you have a token that's a one or a two, you only need one token to display a value of two. But you need two tokens if you just have ones and threes. Are you with me so far? Mm-hmm. All right. So imagine this. So I've got a value of two. So when we go to three, what do I have to do with the ones that are using threes? I have two ones sitting there now. You usually have to change something in. I have to pull something off the table and flip it to the three side, right? Okay. Never, ever do you have to do that if you have one on one side and two on the other. You're always adding a token. I go from one, flip it to a two. When it goes to three, I just add in a one. When it goes to four, I flip it to four. When it goes to five, I add in another one, then flip it to two. But with the one and three counters, you're always going up and down. So going from two to 10, it takes two counters, then one, then two, then three, then two, then three, four, three, then four. So I'm always having to trade in a token for something else that's there. In my mind, I'd rather just keep adding a token and flipping in one that's that's already there as opposed to flipping a token and pulling the extra back. There, I've made my point. I'm sticking to it. I now know why I dislike one and three tokens. So you're that little meme or whatever of the guy sitting there at the table and said... One and two tokens are the best. Convince me I'm wrong. <laughs> Change my mind. Change my mind. So from that standpoint, with the flippage of tokens, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, yes, I, I agree with you. I understand what you're saying completely. I actually followed you and I didn't zone out. That's an accomplishment in itself. Yes, I have a table in our show notes yes, showing do. exactly what I'm doing. No, actually, I was wondering what the heck that table was in our show notes. <laughs> I was looking at that and I'm like... What is this table at the bottom? This makes no sense to me. That's the number of tokens to represent the value on the left-hand side. Okay. But I'm sitting here thinking, all right, if you're flipping over tokens, there's a chance that you could bump a table, flip some tokens inadvertently. I, on the other hand, would prefer to have a token that says one on one side and nothing on the other. Okay. Well, actually, in the Marvel Champions punch-outs, it's just one on both sides. Mm. 
Okay. So there's a one token and then there's a three token. It's just then the ones that we got from Etsy, it's one and three on the other side. But you're right. You could accidentally flip a token over. But I mean, the chances are slim, slim to none on that. But if I'm, if I got one token, I need one, one, I go get one. I need to go get a three. Then, okay. I move two tokens over and grab a three. Mm-hmm. And then, all right, now, wait a minute. Is there was one of these tokens supposed to go with it? Wait a minute. Where do I have the right number here? All in all, yes. Token counting is, is a cluster at times. Uh, but I, I appreciate your point though. I really do. I do. <laughs> Again, I was just trying to figure out why does it bother me? The one and three, because we're constantly making change basically with the one and the three. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, well, let's flip over that token. Let me put this other token back into the supply. If the tokens are one on one side, two on the other, you never pull back when you're increasing. You're just always adding another token. Ta-da! Now, granted that like when you need 10 on the table, you do need five tokens, five twos. With a one and three token, you only need four. A three, a three, a three, and a one. So you do take less tokens if you use one and threes. And remind me of this when we talk about Dune, because there was something about that that we need to discuss. So anyway... Like I'm going to remember that. Hey, well, you know what? Why don't we just kind of uh, head towards that direction of Dune so we don't forget it. Let's talk about some games that we played recently. Hey, Marty, guess what? What? Black Friday is coming up. Matter of fact, you even mentioned it recently because you're going to be doing some twitching. (laughs) I have a nervous disorder. Yes. Miniature Market has already started their sales. Matter of fact, they started their sales early. So by the time you've heard this, guess what? It's been going on for a while. But according to my show notes, it's going to go all the way into Cyber Monday. And I don't even know when that is this year. When's Cyber Monday, Marty? The Monday after Thanksgiving. Are you actually want a date? No, I don't need a date, dude. It's the Monday after Thanksgiving. So if you don't December know. December 30th. Okay. Because if people aren't in the U.S., they may not know what Thanksgiving is. It's going to be December 30th. And you keep saying December 30th, but I'm going to correct you and save you $5. It is November 30th. And you get 85% off, up to 85% off on games, minis, magic cards, and more, Tony. That's right. But unfortunately, if you're listening to this now and hadn't gone over to Miniature Markets, you've already lost all the good sales. But there is a ton of stuff because they always have that Excel spreadsheet that you can download and do a quick search on it, quick filter. Like, here is the stuff that I'm looking for over in the RPG world, or here's the miniatures, or here's the board games. You know they're going to be clearing out the shelves there because, you know, 2020, weird year. Be sure to check it out. Go over to also be sure to create a wish list over there. Sign up for an account so that you can easily direct those friends and families who may not be coming to Christmas this year to send you a gift. Especially if you're doing like any secret Santas or anything like that. It's a great way to share your wish list. To find out more, head over to miniaturemarket.com. Tony, are you done with your cupcake to where we can start our uh, review of Dune Imperium? No, I'm not. I'm still licking my fingers. Oh my gosh. He's he's not kidding. He is. I'm sitting here waiting to start the review and he's over there just munching on a, on a cupcake and, and shove it in my face and show me how good it is. Mm. I will have to tell my wife, it's a little bit too crumbly. I'm not a big crumble cake kind of thing where it makes a big mess. That's why you need ice cream with it, man. Oh. Because yeah, ice cream will soak up the crumbles. And then it's just like ice cream crumble. There is nothing better than like when you have ice cream and cake and then the leftover ice cream just has like little crumbs of the cake left in it. That's what I'm saying. That's it. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Somebody ought to market that. 
Oh, I think they, yeah, I think they, they absolutely They think do. they do, don't they? Don't they make ice cream with uh, cake chunks in it? Well, they call it some birthday cake remix or whatever. I don't know. It's not, not one of my favorite flavors. Mm. The spice is right with this one. I get it. It's a reference to Dune, <laughs> the game from Dire Wolf uh, that we just got to uh, check out. This is a highly anticipated game from uh, designer Paul Denon, who also did Clank and Tony. You and I have loved the entire series of Clank games. Yes, yes, we have. <laughs> yes, yes, we have. I'm sorry, man. I'm flipping through the Dune rule book so I can actually sound somewhat intelligent as we talk about this game. I mean, but why start now? Why start 214 episodes in as trying to sound intelligent? This is a game that plays one to four players. There is a solo player mode. It's probably going to play in 60 minutes to uh, two hours. And as with Clank, this is a nice little twist on a deck building game. Will you agree, Tony, this is at least a deck building game before we get any further? Is that a whole nother discussion? This is more of a deck building game than Lost Ruins. Okay. Well, I disagree. But anyway, to me, they're both deck building games. Now, here, here's the thing. Full disclosure. People are probably going to be wondering, hey, guys, how is the theme of Dune integrated into this game? Do they capture the spirit of Dune? And I will have to honestly say, Tony, I have no clue. I have never read the book and I never saw the movie. I've never read the book. I saw the movie many, 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 many moons ago. All I can remember is there's some worms, some spice and sting. That's all I remember. And Patrick Stewart. See, when y'all were saying that the other night, I was like, where, when, why, how did I miss it? And that was well before, was that during Star Trek? Yeah, it was. And I completely missed it. Well, hold on. Do we need a $5 check that one? Was he in Dune? I don't know. You're the one that kept saying it. Not me. I know Sting was. And at the very end, I watched that stupid movie till the very end. Oh, and I just got flagged big time. I just called the movie stupid and people aren't going to appreciate that because some people think- <laughs> Well, that's an opinion. That's, an that's opinion. not a fact. That's an opinion. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, we're not going to be able to talk about how well the theme integrates into the into the game, but what we're going to do is, do is talk about the game itself, mechanically how it works. I mean, we kind of get the sense of what's going on, but everybody's going to start out with the same uh, deck of cards, just like in your typical deck building game. And Tony, to me, there are some, you mentioned Lost Ruins of Arnak. There's some similarities between these two. Uh, because on your turn, uh, you're going to be able to play a card and there's icons on this card that will indicate where you can put your worker. Yes, this also has worker placement like Lost Ruins of Arnak and you start out with two. And there's like maybe a, a circle, a, a diamond, a square, etc. And when you play that card, you can move your worker to one of those locations that matches that symbol. And when you do, typically you're going to get something. Maybe you'll get uh, one of the resources, which is maybe some water or some spice or maybe some money. Basically, you're trying to put out those workers to collect those particular resources because they're going to have to be spent later on the game in order to try to generate some, well, victory points. And you're trying to get to a set number to create the end of the game? Ten. Very little. Just ten. Just ten. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like you're trying to keep maxing out those victory points because it's a give and take on these victory points based on this faction track over here on the left, based on some special conflict cards that are going to come up during the round that you'll have to battle for. I mean, you know, so, I mean, you know, the round structure is fairly simple for everyone to follow. You have the start of the round. Woo! Go start of the round. Get things going. <laughs> and then you're going to have your player turns. Now the player turns, you're going to have placing your agents out there. And after everybody's placed all their agents, then there's the reveal turn. That's where whatever cards you didn't use, you reveal them. See, they're, they're pretty key in all those words, Marty. I could, I could follow this even. And typically, so in the reveal 
phase is like your typical deck building game where the values on the car will indicate how much you have to spend when you go to the market and you combine additional cards to put into your deck. So there's the deck building mechanic is when you do the reveal of whatever leftover cards are in your hand. What was that movie where someone will say something and then the announcer, oh, I remember it was Die Hard where the guy was interviewing the one of me says, that's the Helsinki syndrome in Sweden. No, Switzerland. Do you remember that in Die Hard where the news anchor? I don't. Okay, well, go watch Die Hard because it is a Christmas movie. I agree. I'm not going to argue there. Okay. That's a whole other topic. I'm not even going to start with you because I'll agree with you. Oh, that's good. So then we go to the combat phase. Then we'll go to the maker's phase, which, by the way, is where you will add spice to the board to make certain spots that were not taken more attractive. Mm-hmm. And that's going to make things go better for you in the next round if you decide to go there. And then, of course, there is the recall phase, which brings everybody back home. And we start the round again. Yeah, exactly. So then you're going to draw up five new cards and, and begin. So, again, basic deck building. When your draw deck is empty, you're going to shuffle up the cards. You're going to draw from there. Whenever you buy new cards during that reveal turn, they're going to go in your discard pile. And this is... <laughs> You and I had a long discussion on Lost Ruins of Arnak, how that point was very different. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute because this is where I kind of wish this had something similar to Lost Ruins of Arnak because of what happened at the end of the games that we played. But one of the key points here about a normal deck builder, normally you'll, you'll just lay out all your cards. That's true. And that this is different. This is more like Lost Ruins at that point, right? right. So when you're placing your workers, and you mentioned this, that they can go to certain zones based on the icons on the card. Mm-hmm. So you will have some choices because the reveal phase is where you then go and enhance your deck. You go out and buy cards from the market. So you may have two cards that are sitting there in your hands where one will say, you can go over here to the desert and place one of your faction workers, but it has a lot of stuff that you can use to buy the cards with. And you may want to sit there and go, mm, do I really want to use that card here or do it? Oh, that's a good card up in the market. That's where this game has that hard choice you have during your turn. The term they have for spending uh, for stuff in the market is persuasion. Persuasion. I'm sitting here thinking influence, and I'm like, I know that's not right. I know that's not right. (laughs) Yeah. So the bottom half of the card has effects that will kick in for the reveal, and the top half of the bar of the card uh, basically has what will be used when you use it as a player action. So there's the card serves two purposes. And you're right, Tony. You may have one that's like, well, these are great in both instances. I could use it for putting out a worker or it'd be really useful in the reveal phase too. Yeah. And workers are agents. And so we're going, whenever we say a, an agent or a worker, that's, that's what we're meaning here. So by putting them out there, you get to do that action there, whatever it may be. One of the mm-hmm. key actions that you're taking, we're placing that agent is, there are these combat symbols. Boom, boom, they're out there. And that will allow you to send people out into the desert to fight. Yep. That's the best I can get for that theme, Marty. Yeah, some of the places on the board basically have a uh, a desert logo or icon on them. Again, like you said, with the swords. And when you place workers, there'll be times when you can add cubes to your garrison out in the desert, which basically represent, you know, army or, you know, warriors or whatever. And when you go into an area like the desert area, place you work in desert area has the cross swords, it allows you to move up to two of your units from the garrison onto the battlefield to use during the conflict phase. Now, thank goodness I watched Rod- Rodney played. And I highly recommend everybody go watch, watch it played. He teaches you do. 
He teaches you. He doesn't read you the book like he did with another game. He's not going to read mm-hmm. you Doom. He is going to tell you how to play this game. And then when you go to the table, and like we did, you can forget everything you just watched. <laughs> I mean, it's, isn't it true though? We were sitting there thinking, wait a minute, well, you and I both watched this video. What happened here? Yeah. But once you got through that first round, and like all games, it's it's one of those simple things that you can do. You, you get through and go, oh, okay, I understand how this is going to work. I know what I'm going to do. Unlike Lost Ruins, I've got to generate water so I can go to these other locations. Yeah, because some locations not only require a card to be discarded that matches a symbol, it may require a resource to go there. This one says uh, you need this particular card and a water to be able to go here. Right. Or you'll need spice. Oh, wait, you need money so that you can go to this area. So now I need to go harvest some spice. I need to get some spice. And then in a later turn, I need to go up to this location so that I can then suddenly get some money. Then I can use that money to spend to the high council where I maybe I need to go spend money so I can take this action over here with these factions that are out there, the various factions that are on the board. And then if I go talk to this faction, my standing with these factions increases so my little marker moves up the track and at a certain level, I can get a victory point. And the higher I go, the better standing I have. Oh, wait, over here on this board, I need X amount of influence with this faction to go here on top of the water I need. <laughs> and you're, and that's where the game, that's, that's that processing you got to do. So that's where you're trying to decide over the course of the game, which faction am I going to try to, to work with and move up on the track? Like I said, there, there's four factions, you know, as you go up, you get the, uh, you get a victory point, and when you get towards the top, you actually take a token that's worth a victory point. An alliance token. You're an alliance with them. You're an alliance. But if somebody passes you on that same faction track, they take that token from you. So that's basically you lose a point, they gain a victory point. But if somebody gets to the very top of that faction track, they won't be able to lose that point at that point because nobody can pass them. So you're fighting for these alliance tokens, which are worth victory points. And again, it's only 10 only 10 points needed to trigger the end of the game. And you mentioned what's important that that conflict phase is the conflict cards at the beginning of every round, there's a conflict card that's flipped over and there's level one, level two, and level three. And those are sorted and set at the beginning of the game. There's 10 total. You either get to 10 points or those 10 cards are played, then, then the game ends. Well, those conflict cards of rank three have straight victory points on them. And if you win the conflict, you could just get straight victory points. So, not only are you trying to build a deck that has some synergy to it, you're trying to get your workers out to get the right resources to be able to go to certain places that you need to go. You got to keep an eye on this conflict area because it's going to be important to participate in these battles. And Tony, the battles are really straightforward. It's really area majority. Mm-hmm. For every cube that's out there during the conflict phase, you're going to count up how many cubes you got, multiply that times two. And during the reveal phase, some of the cards you reveal may have uh, swords at the bottom, which add one to the strength of your force. Whoever has the highest gets the top reward on that conflict card. Whoever has the second gets the second. And then the third one, if you're playing a four-player game. Yes. Yeah. We were only, I'm talking three players, but yeah, that's it. And then everybody that participated in that conflict are returned to their owners. So they're killed. They're dead. They're wiped out. So you have to replenish your garrison to be able to go out and do conflicts in future rounds. Right. And, and the terms that were is recruit to a garrison, deploy to the conflict. Yes. There you go. So, and so some of the places you go to, you get to recruit, take a cube and put it into that area. If the location that you happen to go to uh, also had the cross swords in that location, not only could you 
go to the garrison and, and uh, recruit, you could deploy up to two at that same time. You didn't have to. And Tony, sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I let you and Bert go fight. And I just got a whole bunch of units in my garrison. And then when the future rounds, when those sweet rewards of those conflict cards came up, then I started deploying my guys into the combat to try to win those big rewards. That was one of the things I messed up on in this game was that I didn't have enough people in my garrison for the better rewards later. And then I started building them up, forgetting that you can only deploy X amount to up to two. And you had to be in the right Mm -hmm. spot at the right time. So I played it very poorly from that standpoint. And I was like, well, do you stand a chance of winning if you don't do conflict, if you don't do combat? And the answer is no, you have no chance of winning none. I don't think you do. I, you know, there's some games where you can just ignore certain aspects of the game and still win. You know, a lot of failed Euros are known for that, right? It's like, I'm just going to ignore that part and focus on something else. I don't think you can avoid conflict. The rewards are just too sweet. I mean, you can't leave somebody just soaking up two points by winning a conflict, right? I mean, again, it only takes 10 to trigger the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Somebody wins two of those big conflicts that are award two points each. All of a sudden, that's four straight points. And the game might be over right there. But that right there says, okay, this game is forcing me to have to go do this. Maybe that's part of the thing. There had to be conflict and you've got to prep for it and and go do it. You got to make sure to manage your resources. But at the end of the day, you're going to be fighting in the desert. Another aspect of this game was intrigue cards. And I knew that there were some in-game scoring cards. Mm. If you place one of your agents where you were able to gain intrigue, and entry could be one of three things. It could be a card that's immediately played. It's a it's a combat card, uh, which turn the tides, right? During combat phase, you can play one of those entry cards, which may add swords, or like you said, in-game scoring abilities. And there weren't that many in the deck, and I never saw one. Right. We actually were hunting for them. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, we went back through the deck and saw there weren't that many in-game scoring cards at all. It was mainly plot and combat cards. Right. So I'm, I'm accusing this game of bait and switch. What did it bait you with and what did it switch? Bait you that there's in-game scoring in this game. Oh, wait. Not really. There's not a lot. Oh, wait. You, hey, come. Look, we've got this TV for sale for $100. But w- for $100. Oh, but we only have three of them but I'll sell you this one for $500. It's almost as good. I mean, it's better than. So here it is. Hey, come see these intrigue cards. We've got some end game in here. Well, not really. Well, but now that you know, right? So, you know, you know they're mainly for combat and, and plot. And combat was important. That's how I won some of the combats at the end because I had these intrigue cards in my hand. Because during the combat phase... Not only do you count up all the cubes there, each of you one at a time will be able to play a combat card from your hand, which could increase your overall strength. Once everybody passes, then you count up the total strength of each person. On the card, when you go and do a faction, or not a faction, a place an agent, there is a text in there. Mm -hmm. After we played, I was like, did you have to do that? Some of them, you did. You had to destroy a card. You played this card, you had to destroy this card. Mm. Were there ever cards that say, hey, you can destroy a card, trash a card, and get this effect? Did you have to do it? Because one of our biggest issues that I have for Lost Ruins, in my opinion, is that at a certain point, I'm going to stop buying cards. Okay, so now we're getting to this point. This is the point I was kind of wrapped back to. Do you stop buying cards at some point because you know your deck is as 
lean and mean as it can get with the least amount of culling for a game. I mean, we talk about, you know, Clank having problems with culling at times, but some people say y'all are wrong. Fine. We're wrong. So that's when I was like, well, maybe the culling is actually on these cards when we're placing the agent that you don't have an option. So you don't have to buy anything in the reveal phase. No, that's an option for you to do. Uh, so you don't have to buy anything, but as far as the actions on there, it said in the rules that you may do these in any order. Anytime I see the word may, I also take that to mean is you ain't got to do it. All right. Then on that one card that said trash this card, that one special card, what made it a requirement? It was that very special one that had all the factions and all the symbols on it that you could buy. There was something that was kind of throwing me off. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, I see what you're saying. That case, yeah, you had to. There's one special card that you could buy uh, that when you use it, it's out of the game. Just boom, gone. You know, because we were sitting there questioning, how, why is the calling not happening? Well, there weren't many cards that had calling at all. No, there weren't. And we've, we've said that about Clank before. It's like you have these starter cards and there were a few places where you could uh, maybe a card have a special action to get rid of a card from your, you know, your discard pile or your play area or something like that. But we didn't run across those too often. No, we didn't. And and that's what we did run back. They did have the nice combo effects of if you've played this card during this round and you mm-hmm. have this card as well, then they, they count. You can go off of them, combo off of them. And we were like, okay, we understand that phase. So you have that as part of deck building. That's where you're, you're back into deck building with this game. By the way, trashing a card is optional unless it's paying a cost or a card directs you to trash it itself. Okay. Directly from the rules. That one card you're talking about says you have to discard. You have to. You have to trash it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to trash the card in order to use it. The other cards that have the icon, the trash icon, you have the option to do it if you want to. But I think you may want to uh, if you have stuff to get rid of. Because, Tony, I kind of found the same thing. At the end of the game, in the last about three rounds, there was almost no need to buy any cards at that point because they were going to go straight to your discard pile and you're probably never going to see them. This is where one thing I do like about Lost Ruins of Arnak. Because when I bought a card, it went to the bottom of my draw deck, not to my discard pile. And that's huge. Because there's a very good chance I might be able to draw that card I bought. And this game, the chances are pretty slim. So all of us felt the last couple of rounds during the reveal phase, nobody was buying anything because there was no need to. Mm-hmm. Why throw it in the discard pile that's probably not going to get reshuffled anyway? Exactly. As normal deck builders, usually when you buy a card, you get victory points on them. Right. That's not the case in this game. Also, wasn't there the fact that if you don't place agents and you do a reveal, that's it. You're done. Correct. Yes. That's why typically they always were saying it's like you're probably going to get all your agents out on the board and then do the reveal unless it just so happens there's no place for your agent to go because you can't pay the cost or don't have the right card to put an agent where you want it to go. And there were a couple spots on the board, Tony, that were kind of useless. You only could go there once. There was no ever need to go there again. Mm -hmm. One of them was getting a third worker. Mm -hmm. Once you did it, you never had to go to that space again. Another was to get a permanent two persuasion during the reveal that you could use to spend. Once you go there, there was never need to go there again. So there are a couple spots on the board that once you went there, they were kind of useless at that point. They were one and done. Yes. And and I never went up to the high council seat to get the plus two. I was like, is that really necessary for what I'm trying to do? You know, I mean, I, I, I found myself struggling with the resources and I was like, okay, how am I, why am I not making the water? And I come to find out it was because I was not a friend of that one faction that had the ability to create water. I needed to mm-hmm. go up on there. 
so that I could then place my agent, get the rewards from that one area, which included able to recruit to my garrison as well as gain a water. That's where I really was like, I should have done that first. I should have really pushed myself on that inf- on that track because that would have opened up that one spot on the board to me, which I never did until late in the round. And then it was like, well, it's too, too bad for me. So that's one of those things. Okay, what do I do? So, but it was very programmatic, programmatic for me, not problematic, programmatic for me. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to get some spice and then I'm going to sell it off so I can generate some income, then go get my third worker. And once I've done all that, then I've set that process up. Now I'm into my gather the resources, push the faction, get the victory points. Once I get the victory points, see if I can trigger the end of the game and hopefully leave you other players behind. Water was hard to get. Water was and hard maybe to get. thematically that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe water is very precious in Dune. I'm not sure. But I struggled to get water because there's that, like you said, there's that one spot on the board that you could get it. If you were last, no way he's going to get it because one of you two were going to go there to get uh, not only to rec- uh, recruit a troop, but to gain that water. Mm-hmm. And unless you had that other spot open, but then, like you said, you had at least, at least have two influence in that one faction to even be able to go there. Some of the cards created great combos of, of using the resources and then being able when that card would show up as long as you had the resource. Oh, look, you have this amount of spice available. You can spend that to increase your influence in these two. I had a very nice card there that allowed me to mm-hmm. do that. Um, the ability to go and always get that one card that you had to discard. That was fine. That worked out well. I mean, for me, you say it's a deck builder. Yes, you, you're building a deck, but there's a point where you stop building. You stop looking for the combos and just go with what you got and see how you can get to the end game and trigger and, and work on that intrigue and combat. You will shift to that at the end. But you know, that's probably typical of, you know, let's go back to the basic Dominion game. Then it worked kind of the same way in Dominion. There's a point you stop buying cards it's like my deck is where it needs to be because if it gets too big, the cards I need to draw into won't be there. Mm-hmm. So you, you probably need, it's going to be the same thing here. There's a cutoff point where it says, I just don't need any more cards. I've got the cards that I need. These are the cards I'm going to use. Let's go from there. Mm-hmm. And with any good deck building game, you need to learn how to synergize. So me personally, I probably added too many cards to my deck. No, same here. My stomach was smaller than my eyes. My eyes were bigger than my stomach. Yeah, that's what it was. It was like, ooh, that one looks really good. I was never going to see it. I should never should have done it. Instead of try to tune the deck that I have, get rid of those starter cards that I had, and then it'd probably be more like a well-oiled machine. So I blame that on me. But yes, you're right. Like with any deck building game, towards the end of the game, you flip the switch, stop deck building, take what you got, run with it, try to get victory points from the faction tracks, and try to get your victory points in conflict try to win the game. And to the game's credit, the ability to not try to get the most victory points, trying to control factions and and shift things around so that you are gathering the victory points on the board. So you're not buying those cards with victory points. I completely understand why they did it that way. Not put victory points on the cards because that's not what you're doing in this game. You are trying to get control of the various factions and wrestle it away from other people to score the victory points. And Mm -hmm. if you can make it to the top and not come back down, then no one else can take that control from you and you are secure in your two victory points. Because every faction could essentially get you two victory points, right? You crossed a certain point on the influence track, you got a victory point. If you claim the influence token, you got a second one. So in theory, there's eight points sitting on the board to be taken. Plus, we know there is at least four that I can remember in the conflict phase uh, to get points there also. And like you said... 
if you're a worker ever go, you can go down on the influence track. And if you do and go to back below where you gained that uh, point, you lose a victory point. You don't get to keep it. And that was one of the combos I was looking for. I was looking for one where in one faction, I could sit there and manipulate it up and down across that threshold to try mm-hmm. to adjust somewhere else or gain resources. And I don't know if we ever saw that card come up because I was looking for that. I'm like, okay, play this card to decrease this faction, but increase this other faction by two and use yep. that one faction to sit there and bump up everybody else. I had one very close to it, but it, it didn't get the synergy I was looking. Just like Clank, this is a very clever take on a deck building game. You know, where Clank is a dungeon delving type game, uh, this is a worker placement uh, resource management type game. You're going to use some of the same mechanics like we talked about in Lost Ruins of Arnak. You've got to apply some of the same deck building strategies we just talked about. There's a, there's a point, stop buying. Don't buy anymore. <laughs> you know, you're just going to clog up your deck with stuff that you don't need. Try to cull the best that you can. And then look for ways around the board. You see where these victory points are. are see what resources you need to be able to move that influence token, steal victory points from somebody else and a race to that uh, 10 points. Mm -hmm. Overall, the board was very clean, easy to understand. Uh, Iconography was great, which brings me taking it all the way back to what we talked about with tokens. So the spice didn't have a one or a five on it. They were just different sizes. You okay with that? I'm a okay with that. I can easily remember the big one was a five and the small one was a one. No issue. And if you wanted to, you could adjust it. The big one's a three. Oh, the big one's a two. I'm just going to go with what's in the rules. I do too many making of rules of my own. I'll leave that one alone. Okay. The board as all the the art and graph was very clean, like I just said. And I like that when I can easily find and identify iconography on a board. Mm -hmm. So if you ask me, hey, McCree, would you... Recommend Lost Ruins or Dune. If we locked you in the room and the only way we're going to let you out is you have to pick one. Which one are you going to pick? I'm going to probably go with Lost Ruins. And I felt that I had better use of the resources in that when I was generating those resources instead of them just sitting there. You know, I'm, I'm done using the money. But in Lost Ruins, there was this constant combo. How can I manipulate? How can I constantly do that? And I felt that there was this always pressure on me because the clock was ticking on trying to get victory points here. I I don't know. The tension wasn't there for me, Marty, Mm. both games, excellent take on these deck builder placing the worker games, but I liked lost ruins more. So for me, things that I liked in this game more than lost ruins was that at the beginning of the game, each of you is going to play a character in Dune with a special ability. So everybody has special abilities that they can take on the turn. I like that player variability uh, a little bit of uh, asymmetry to it, depending on uh, which character you got. So I do like that. Lost Ruins did not have that. But what Lost Ruins had, these incredible combos that you could chain together with these things called free actions, where you could use an idol in order to generate a free action. You got assistants that give you free actions that you can use resources on. You can always buy a card and use it. Tony, remember with artifacts and Lost Ruins, this, if this is the part you kind of messed you up, but when you bought Artifact, you merely got to use it at that point. It wasn't a wasted resource when you bought it. If you bought an item, it went to the bottom of your draw deck. So that game didn't really have that point where I'm going to stop adding cards to my tech because they were always useful. And at the end of the game, you mainly had Artifacts to choose from, which were immediately played. So that part was cool. So I think it's an amazing take uh, on a, a worker placement game. I think 
Paul Denon has done an amazing job again. Uh, and being able to take such a simple mechanic and turn it into something like this. I wish I knew the theme better. I think they would probably make a lot more sense of the stuff that I'm seeing. I love the conflict conflict phase. I think that is really cool of not only you're managing resources, you're putting cubes out on the board, which is ends up being an area majority, but you're fighting over who's going to get the rewards of this particular conflict card. But Tony, like you, if you're going to lock me in a room and I have to pick one to play right now to be Lost Ruins, because I just, at the end of that game is so insane with the stuff that you could do. And it's just flat out fun trying to trigger all these different things together in order to get to work. Not a huge knock on Dune, because like I said, when I did the review, Lost Ruins might be my game of the year. To that point, if we, if you were to list them out, I mean, we were very excited to play Dune. So who knows? It might've been, oh man, this was amazing. And then we played Lost Ruins and said, oh man, this is even better. Right. It could have been order of play. (laughs) If you get a chance, be sure to play them both. You may like the theme better. You may like the uh, agent selections and the conflict over Lost Ruins better. But once again, it's an opinion. And only you know what you like. That is Dune from Dire Wolf Game. Imperium. Dune Imperium. Tony, I have a bone to pick with Ignacy. Really? You got a problem? He needs to solve it? Here's the problem he needs to solve. He has the really cool Vertuvian Meeple t-shirts available in their EU store. Uh, that is not available in the U.S. store, and I want one of those. You know the uh, the Michael D'Angelo Anatomy of a Man? Yeah. Yeah, he has that with one of his, like, uh, Meeple characters from Imperial Settlers on a t-shirt, and I want that, but I can't get it here because this is not available at PortalGamesUS.com. Yeah, but you could order from Portal PortalGames. I don't even remember what it was. PortalGames.pl slash U.S. That's what it was. That's what we used to say. But you sure? I mean, right now over on his site, Marty, maybe what he's doing, because he has all the shirts on sale at PortalGamesUS.com. They are 50% off right now. If you want one of my favorite shirts of all time, the Imperial Settler t-shirt, you can pick that up for $7.50. Love that shirt. With the little meeple, with the uh, Stormtrooper head Stormtrooper? on Stormtrooper? Mm-hmm. So uh, Portal Games US, there's still good stuff over there, Marty. I know you can't get what you want. Yeah, he's got some other cool shirts. The Robinson Crusoe, you need to get one of those, Tony. I have one. I have all those Portal shirts. I have them all. That's nice. That's good stuff. So hopefully at some point in time, that Vitruvian meeple shirt will end up over here in the US. But in the meantime, well, if you're in the EU, make sure to go order that because that's really cool. And make sure to go check out all their products. They got a big sale going on right now. Christmas is coming up. You want that Robinson Crusoe treasure chest? Mm-hmm. You know you do. So to find out more, head over to portalgamesus.com. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Well, we got to play the Lord of the Rings. An oldie but a goodie from Reiner Knizia. This was originally done in 2000, Marty. 2000. And somehow, as Lord of the Rings fans, we've never played this game. I have. I've told you that. I I played it. It was not a very good teach. It was almost an epic rolling dice and taking name bad teach. But this is a co-op game where we are trying to destroy the ring and Mount Doom. Shock. You mean a Lord of the Rings game where the ultimate goal is to destroy the one ring? 
Well, the shock to me in this game is, I mean, this is, we played the 20th anniversary edition. Yes. And they've really enhanced it. Beautiful art, amazing cards. Sculpts. Sculpts. Thank you. Amazing art on the board. And it's Mm -hmm. one of those games that it's straightforward, simple to play, barely an inconvenience to get on the table. But it reminds me of you're doing the whole trilogy. I like that. So each one's almost like a storyboard. Uh, we have Moria, Helm's Deep, Shelob's Lair, Mordor. And basically, you're trying to traipse across each one of those boards to reveal the next board with the ultimate goal of getting to Mount Doom before you're corrupted or dead. Which, we didn't do it. No. But that's good. Because who wants to win a co-op game the first time that you play? I do. Okay. <laughs> I want to win a co-op game the first time I play, so I'll come back to it. Not that I'm throwing stones at Robinson Crusoe. And, okay. and the decimation that it brought on us. But this Lord of the Rings was up there too. It mm-hmm. did feel like the eye was upon us, that it was oh, pressing yeah. down our souls. The orcs were nipping at our heels. We had this big nasty spider getting ready to eat us up. Also, there's player elimination. And I'm just like, wow, this is something I was not expecting. Because of that, there's a player elimination. Somebody could be watching you at the end while the other two try to finish, but the chances are going to be hurting to them at that point. But yeah, each of you are playing as an iconic character. One of the, the hobbits. And each of you have special abilities. Again, I like that. Special ability is already cool. And on your turn, you're going to have these story tiles that are flipped down. You're going to flip them over and resolve them. Now, there's usually like three tracks on the board of the, of the story. And if you reveal one of those, you get to move uh, your little person. And uh, if an activity symbol is revealed, then you can play a couple cards from your hand. And based on the symbols on there, you can also move the markers on the track. Moving markers on the track will give you new cards to put into your hand, maybe an ally, maybe a weapon that you can use. But the ultimate goal is to get the main quest token all the way across the board so you can change to the other board. So, wow, do I focus on trying to moving across this track in order maybe to get that special card that came out in this particular phase of the game? Because every time a new board comes out, new cards come out that you can get too. But, Tony... Typically on your turn, you're going to draw a nasty story tile, which drives this one token down, like you said, this event track. And things on the event track aren't aren't good. You you don't want that to happen. And so that's where the co-op comes in. What happens if this occurs on this draw? Can we survive this? Do we need to be able to meet this certain level? Oh, do you have the necessary tokens when we get to the end of this phase? Because you could take damage. What do you need to do? How are you going to manage your hand. Do we have what it takes to get through here? Is it better to draw cards or, or push back the corruption? All that goes in to this game that you've really got to work tight. And I think it's one of those things where if you don't get the right cards at certain times, it's just going to spiral out of control. Kind of like what pandemic will do to you. Now here's the thing. It's 20 years old. It feels 20 years old, but I still enjoyed it. It's a very straightforward game. I do like the corruption track. You know, you got like this Nazgul moving towards you. If you ever get in the same spot as them, basically you're dead. There's dice rolls in the game where it's going to say, hey, the story tell you, hey, you need to roll these dice, which may make uh, him move towards the whole entire party or maybe make you move forward or make you discard cards. So there's all that you have to deal with. It's a simple game, but I like pretty much anything with Lord of the Games and this new production, Lord of the Rings, and this new production is really nice. Yeah, I enjoyed the game too. And I think of all the co-op games I have on the table, will this beat it out? Because that's what it's coming down to is, will this mm. game get out there? I know this is a game that for my family, Donna and I, I would not play this. But for me, I want to play this again from the standpoint of the fact that I want to win it at least once. 
Yeah, so I'm finally glad I got to play this classic game from Fantasy Flight Games and Reiner Knizia, Lord of the Rings. The 20th anniversary edition's out now. Brand new little sculpts, which look really good. Go check it out. Five-minute initiative is complete. Tony, we got... I don't know why I got to stop clapping because I do that. People are like, what's that snap? It's me clapping. We got some news to talk about, Tony. There's some stuff that's been going down. One of them actually just hit the news wire today. Tony, you know, Fantasy Flight Games has made a lot of money over the years with their Star Wars X-Wing game, right? Yes. Yes, they have. I'm assuming they haven't made it off of me. <laughs> They've made it off me in other ways, especially with their card games. It was just announced today that Star Wars X-Wing, Star Wars Amada, Star Wars Legion is going to be moving from Fantasy Flight Games over to Asmodee's miniature game-focused studio, which is Atomic Mass. Now, for those who may not know, Atomic Mass is the one that was just brought in recently and started to do the Marvel's uh, miniatures game. That was my question. That was going to be my question. Who's doing the Marvel's miniature game? It is, it is Atomic Mass. Okay. Uh, so they're the ones that uh, came out last year with this new miniatures game. So now Asmodee has decided, you know, we're going to pull all the miniatures games from Fantasy Flight and shift them over to this one studio. And Tony, that's pretty big news because for a long time, Star Wars X-Wing has been bread and butter for FFG. You know, this just shows how out of it I am from the standpoint of news. I did not realize that X-Wing is still going as strong as it is. I remember sitting in our game store eight months ago, looking at all the X-Wings on the shelf. And I was sitting there going, is anybody playing that now? I'm not seeing hmm. it being played in the store, but I, but you're right. There were a lot of tournaments going on. It's huge. And uh, I was actually talking to our store a couple weeks ago and I was asking about Legion. He said, oh yeah, we got lots of Star Wars Legion fans here. He said, every time something comes out, I sell out of a certain product. So even the the miniatures game, the little like uh, uh, ground-based combat game that they have, it's also big. So again, FFG is, I guess, losing all these as they move over to another studio. But here's the thing, Tony, FFG's lost a lot of stuff over the past couple of years. They had a digital studio where they were porting a lot of their games over, you know, the digital platform. That's gone. They had all those RPGs, remember the Genesis system, mm-hmm. uh, where there's like kind of the basic system. They had a Descent game, a low, uh, L5R game. Star Wars. That's been moved over to a, a different studio. So they lost the digital platform stuff. They've lost the RPGs. They've lost the miniatures. I mean, it's really just down to their board games and the LCGs at this point. What What, what is their goal? I don't know. They're, they're the brains behind it. They're the business people. They know what they're doing over there. Just don't get rid of my Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle Earth. Where's that one? Well, the thing is, Tony, Atomic Mass Games is run by some miniature veterans, including Will Schick, who was with Privateer Press. He was responsible for a lot of the War Machine stuff. So maybe it's just that Atomic Mass Games now is just like the place of, you know, all these veteran miniature gamers. And they just want to kind of want to consolidate and move all the miniature type games under one studio. So they make sure have, you know concise maybe manufacturing and distribution and you know common rule sets and stuff so i don't know maybe that's part of the reason but i just thought that was that was really big because star wars has been so huge for ffg over the years and now you know they don't even have any lcgs based on star wars anymore like you said they lost the rpgs now the miniatures it's strictly i guess just star wars board games now interesting okay so here's some other things 
Did you see where Come On Games has uh, signed a deal with Warner Brothers to produce some animation games, including Scooby-Doo, Looney Tunes, and Teen Titans Go? Funny you should say that. I was reading our podcast notes, and there was a link in there, and I did see that link. <laughs> so I actually clicked on it to see what it would take me to and not some uh, Rick Roll. Is that still a thing, Rick Rolling? No, not much. No, okay, good. So I was scared about that at first. But yes, I did. I was looking at that and saying, okay, this is playing to the inner childhood. And we played a, a Wacky Racers from them, didn't we? Uh, yes, we sure did. Yep. Yeah, we did. And I'm like, okay, so how's this? What's Scooby-Doo going to be about? Is any of this going to entertain me? Well, here's the thing is, supposedly there's this system called the Mayhem Game System, which is what all these games are based on, but we don't know what that is. These are going to be Kickstarters and based on the Mayhem gaming system. I'll tell you right now, I'll go ahead and be right off the bat. If Looney Tunes has some nice miniatures in it, I will buy it just for the miniatures, even if the game's not any good. So they're going on your nostalgia. They're playing to your nostalgia. 100%. Teen Titans go, no. No. I mean, the first Teen Titans show was amazing. I didn't like the the Teen Titans go. It's funny, but I like the more serious Tony Bellman. Regardless. Scooby-Doo and Looney Tunes, I'll be looking at. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about what this mayhem system is, but I just thought it was interesting that Come On has basically licensed these three products going to be coming out uh, to Kickstarter at some point in time. They had just said soon, but they just didn't say how soon. So teasing, salivating, making you want to say, hey, let's save some of our Kickstarter dollars because, yeah, let's see, I've got, I think, three Kickstarters I've backed recently, which I've never done in my whole life. And I guess it's like that thing with Restoration Games and Unmatched Funko and the Funkoverse. There's this basic rule set. They just apply it to different IPs. I guess this is what this is going to be also. I'll definitely give it a look because you are, you're right. This is, this is right up my nostalgia area. Yeah, 100%. And finally, Tony, a couple episodes ago, we had talked about the Toy Hall of Fame. All right. And we gave our predictions. And the winners have now come out, Tony. So let's announce who the winners are for 2020. First, we both said this one, Baby Nancy. Mm-hmm. We both pre- predicted that this would be one. This was the uh, first black baby doll that was uh, mass produced, uh, very popular, uh, game changing uh, for the toy industry. No surprise there. Jenga won. I don't think either of us guessed Jenga. Uh, there was a, several other games in there that we probably put ahead of this, but okay, I guess. I mean, it's very popular. Yeah. And finally, this is my beef time. All right, get ready, people. Strap in. This is where it goes because we're going to disagree. Did we disagree in the last time? Because I yes. had a rant on this item even being nominated and somehow Sidewalk Chalk won as a toy to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Give me a break. Where do you want it? Your arm, your leg? Where do you want me to break it? Because if you cannot admit that when a stick wins then the door is wide open for anything. I cannot argue with that because when I went back and looked and saw stick one, you're right. So I guess cardboard boxes next year. Why not? Paper towel tube. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. I can see that almost. So why not? How many times when your mother would finish wrapping Christmas gifts, did you and your sister sword fight? A hundred percent of the time. Toys are nothing more than something that drives the imagination and teaches learning. I totally get that. But to me, these should be official products that you can 
buy. I, I know you can buy sidewalk chalk. I'm not going to law you on you. Uh, no, I get that. Here's the thing is, I, Jenga, an official product that was designed and brought to market. Baby Nancy, official product designed and brought to market. Sidewalk chalk. Eh, just take this chalk over there and just let put it out there to market and let people draw with it. It wasn't designed to be a toy. Okay. So I'm going to take your logic and I'm going to apply it to another Hall of Fame. Do uh, you feel that in the Baseball Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame, the NASCAR Hall of Fame, the Hockey Hall of Fame, that managers or general managers or owners should be in there? A lot of them didn't play the sport. Some of them didn't play the sport. No, but 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 but, but, no, but, but I mean for the but for I don't think I, you can I think about it for a second for an answer. So for the NFL, it's not just a player's Hall of Fame. It's just those involved with the NFL. So yeah, I can see that. Okay, this is just the toy Hall of Fame. It's not the toys that were produced in a mass lineup in China. I think that's a stretch. I think a manager is closer to being generally accepted to be an inducted to the Hall of Fame than a piece of chalk piece of chalk provides hours of fun to those who are doing so that's not the point again next year i swear i'm going to nominate christmas wrapping paper roll next year and it better stink and win hey cut it in half and now you've got a spy scope for a pirate yes paper roll tubes are flipping awesome i 100 agree i had lots of fun with those again you've totally debunked most of my arguments when you said if stick is in there the door is wide open and you're 100 right i just don't like it fine you, you don't have to like it you don't have to accept it but guess what it is it's the reality of the thing i could go on sidewalk shop it can draw out a hopscotch I mean, it serves a lot of functions, just like a lot of toys. And you're right, manufactured. Maybe it should be that what's manufactured. You're not going to be happy until Rock'em Sock'em Robots gets in. Robots gets in. Can stuff be nominated twice? I wonder. There's a bunch of write-ins. Oh, okay. Well, next year I'm writing in Christmas paper roll, Christmas wrapping paper roll, Christmas wrapping empty paper tube. I don't even know what to call it. How about a cardboard but it tube? Be in there. Just call it a cardboard tube. That's way better than what I was thinking. Okay. Yes, cardboard tube. Next year, let's get on the bandwagon, everybody. Everybody write in cardboard tube. If chalk and stick deserve to win, so does cardboard tube. I rest my case. I am behind that bandwagon. You're behind the bandwagon? (laughs) You're not on it. You're just slightly behind it. Maybe you'll get on it at some time, but right now you're just kind of walking behind it. I'm just behind it. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Recently, publisher Fort Circle Games contacted us and said, would you be interested in checking out a game that we had called Shores of Tripoli? This was a Kickstarter that came out last year, and it just was uh, delivered. And I thought, you know what? I like historical games. I like two-player games. I want to check it out. Now, Tony, I've played this game way more than you have. You've only played it once, but Bert and I have played it many times when you're on vacation or something like that. Now, you just recently got to play it, and I know you say you don't have many comments on it, but you you can chime in whenever you feel like. This, number one, did you feel like it was an easy teach? Yes, it was an easy teach from the standpoint of what my end goal was. This is a 45 to 60 minute game that's based on a deck of cards. And on your turn, you're going to spend a card to take an action. What I love about this is this is 
takes place historically during the early 1800s when there were pirates off the shores of Tripoli basically raiding ships. And so Thomas Jefferson uh, sent uh, naval ships down there to try to deal with it. So that's the whole theme of it. The U.S. side plays totally different than the Tripoli side. The U.S. side is about bringing in frigates, going into harbors, combating. Meanwhile, the pirates, the Tripoli pirates, are basically trying to go out and steal a bunch of gold or destroy four U.S. frigates. That's your path to victory. Meanwhile, for the U.S. side, they've either got to come to a peace treaty, which is historically what really happened, or they must defeat the units in Tripoli. So very different goals at this point. And as the U.S. guy, I got a hand of cards. What I'm going to do is I can play one. I can play one to build a new ship. I can play one to move a couple ships. And if I go into a harbor where you are, we can do some combat. You play the Tripoli Pirates, Tony. You could play a card to send out uh, your ship's Corsairs in order to try to uh, get some gold. Combat and getting gold is done through dice rolls. Or there's actual text on the cards. You can play the card and resolve the text. You're basically going to play it over the course of several years. Each round consists of a season, winter, spring, fall, summer, go to the next year. This first person to achieve the winning objective, guess what they do? They win. They win the game. They win the game. That's so right. you're playing cards, you're playing events on the cards, you're trying to, like Mari said, get those objectives. Here's where the strategy is. How do you use the cards? That's where your AP comes in. It's not so much as in the actions that you need to do is, I need to hold on to this card or do I need to use this card strategically? Like when I, the one time I played, and by the way, I won, that's the most key important thing of this whole thing was that I had cards that only really told me that I needed to go raid because they were useless in my hand and I knew that they would be shuffled back in later if that ever happened. So for the pirate side, as Marty explained to me, it says you've got a pretty well easy side of this. There's not a whole lot of thought process behind it. And that's true. I would, I will have to say that about being the pirates that it was go raid or try to defeat. And I got some very lucky rolls, which helped me roll to victory because on the pirate side, you got to do it fast and quick because the longer the game draws out, the better chance it is for the U S player to win. Now, Marty, as a U.S. player, would you agree that you need that game to drag on? Well, you have to because it's a momentum shift. Remember in Watergate, we talked about how Nixon has the momentum at the very beginning of the game, and then it shifts uh, over to the, the editors. Same thing happens here. At the beginning of the game, all the momentum is with the Pirates. But by the time you get to 1805-1806, the momentum shifts to the U.S. because you've probably got forces out there. Forces is deployed, and then all of a sudden, your winning conditions now come into play because you can't even win until 1805-1806. You have to play through those other four years to even get to that point and have a chance to win. So yes, you got to make it drag on. You got to try to keep the pirates at bay. I love this game. I think thematically it's cool. There's a book in there that tells you about the history of this. I didn't realize this. And Tony, when they have the Marines, you know, the Marines anthem from the halls of Montezuma to shores of Tripoli, no clue that this is what it was referring to in shores of Tripoli. Oh my gosh. Was this event right? I didn't. Okay. I, I'm sorry. This was one of those things in history I'm so glad I, I learned about. Maybe they glossed over it in school and I forgot it. I just don't remember all the details. And I thought this was really super interesting. If there's a knock on it, it is very luck-based when it comes to dice. When you're rolling combat and fives and sixes deal damage, if you roll tons of fives and sixes, you could just wipe out the other side. 
Oh, I'm sorry. When you roll sixes, you have to roll sixes to do damage. You, Tony, as the pirate, when you played fives and sixes, get you gold. If you roll a handful of five and sixes, you could like get four or five gold immediately, and the game's almost over. So there is a lot of luck with the with the dice. That's just the way it is. There's not a lot of mitigation of the luck of the dice, but strategically, I just love timing when to play cards and everything like that. Man, I love this game. I've had so much fun playing Shores of Triple E from uh, Fort Circle Games. So you know, on my side, I need to play it some more before I can give it some love like you're giving it. Easy to teach, quick to play, enjoy that, but I can also see how it aligns with the other games you talked about. So I'm looking forward to getting it back to the table. Kickstarter, Mari said that you could possibly get it at a future date, that they may have some more of that, but it's pretty hard to get right now, isn't it? It is very hard to get. It's not mass retail. You have to keep an eye on it in their site and see when it's available. So you can go out to uh, Forest Circle Games and see. Again, that is the Shores of Tripoli. And this is Kevin Bertram's first game he's ever designed. For the first game, this is really, really good. Five-minute initiative is complete. This episode is being released the week of Thanksgiving here in the U.S., which means we're right around the corner from Christmas, Tony. Now, Tony, I don't know if you know about this. Do you know about this thing called Whamageddon? No. That happens around Christmas time. No. Don't care to. No. Don't really matter. Too bad. I'm going to tell you what this is. No. I'm going to take my headset off and I'm going to crank up Skyrim on the Switch. There. There's my Skyrim reference. Okay. Go ahead. Tell me. I'll listen. One of the most overplayed songs during Christmas time, on the radio, in stores, etc., is Wham's Last Christmas. Okay? I'm not going to play it here because that would break the rules of this game. Uh, but you know the song Last Christmas, right? Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. Oh, that but one. The okay. the very next day. Not that you can pick it out from my horrible singing. So wait a minute. That doesn't count. That does not count. That doesn't count in this game. So this is a game that started last year, a couple of years ago. It's called Whamageddon. And I like to play this and I want to play it with, with our listeners. I'm going to create a channel and our discord channel called Whamageddon. And the rules are out there on the website, whamageddon.com. So here are the rules, Tony. The objective is to go as long as possible without hearing Wham's Christmas song, Last Christmas. The game starts on December 1st. Now, see, I, I had our thought I'd already lost. I posted a couple days ago, I've already lost because I heard it, but said, no, 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 I hadn't started yet. I said, oh, sweet. They pulled me to this website. So December 1st, it ends midnight, December 24th. Third rule, only the original version applies so you can listen to remixes and covers all you want. So if you hear a remix or a cover, it doesn't matter. It must be the original Wham version to be knocked out of the game. Thing is, if you hear this song, you're immediately out. The fourth rule is you're out as soon as you recognize the song. It's not like, is that? Oh, it is. It's too late. It's too late if you know what it is. Game over. Bonus rule is post on social media with the Whamageddon hashtag when you get hit. Again, we're going to set up a Whamageddon channel in our Discord server. Tell us your story. What happened? Where were you when you heard last Christmas? And let's try to see how far each of us can go during this time without hearing that horribly overplayed song again. All right. So that's that's it. I just can't listen to Christmas music is what I'm hearing. That's not it. Remember, if you walk into a store and they've got the music playing in the background, as soon as you hear it, game is over. All right. Uh, see, that all that stuff, I don't even really process. I don't listen to it. I was in Walmart and it was, they were playing Christmas music. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I didn't even pay attention to it. Well, then you may go very far in this game okay. if you can just tune it out like that. I do. I, I tune it out. The only time that I listen is my wife will put up the Pandora Christmas music station when we're decorating the tree. Sure. So I'm going to be out when we have to decorate the tree. I can tell you that right now that on November 28th, when the tree goes up, or because the 29th, I think it's Sunday, we, I will be out. No, I won't because it's before Christmas, before December 1st. Correct. December 1st. So you're good. I'm good. Okay. Quick transition. What are some of your favorite Chris albums to listen to? Well, I'm, I'm always instrumental. Um, so the uh, David Land's Christmas. Good. I know that one. Of course, Mannheim Steamroller. Ah, yes. Uh, all of them? Or is there a particular one that you like more than the others? Just, no, just all the... I prefer more instrumental Christmas or the old Christmas, uh, Bing Crosby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those classics. The, the, those classics. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear those those uh, songs. I don't want to hear the new stuff. I don't... Wh- why could it not be like, what is it? My, Mariah Carey's um, All I Want from Christmas Is You. I know it's horrible, but I kind of like that song. I think it's so poppy and uplifting. It's just, I don't know. No, it's I a great it. song, but I it, you talk about Wham's being overplayed. Yes. No, 100%. I, it is it is way overplayed. Is not one of your favorites, Vince Guaraldi's A Charlie Brown Christmas? Yes, I enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. But then I always see the cartoons, which I will not be able to see this year. I, I listen to that album a lot. Uh, I've actually gotten into a postmodern jukebox's Christmas album that came out a couple years ago. is really good. Okay. I enjoy it, too. I, I can see that. Chicago released a Christmas album a few years ago that's pretty good. If you like Chicago. Oh, I love Chicago. I did not know that. Yep. Go listen to that. It's Some of them's remakes and some of them's originals. Okay. Uh, so those are those are good, too. Try to think of other instrumental. Sometimes I just go on Amazon Music and just say instrumental jazz Christmas. Yeah. And it just plays a, a bunch of really George Winston's you know old stuff, Mannheim, like you, like you mentioned. And and some of the um, classic, the, the hymns sung by, you know, the Tabernacle Choir or, mm-hmm. and this is, the people can really laugh at me here, slap some monk chanting on and I'll be a happy boy too. I also like uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Oh yeah. I forgot about Trans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I usually listen to them. And uh, of course they won't be touring this year. I've seen that band live, I think 10 to 15 times. I was going to say, that's one of your favorite things to go see, isn't it? Yeah, we haven't seen them in a few years. Now, they are doing a live stream where you can buy it and, and watch it. And we actually thought about doing it here just for nostalgia's sake. But yes, so uh, Whamageddon is going to be up and uh, uh, playing. And for anybody out there that wants to play, come join us on our Discord server. We'll have links. And uh, also, let us know uh, some good Christmas music. Obviously, Tony and I both kind of lean more towards instrumental music, especially uh, like jazzy type stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, let us know some good stuff because I'm always looking for some new uh, Christmas music to play. So we're coming close to the break. Thank goodness. Everybody's like, yeah, we made it 2020. How could it get any better? Well, here's how it's going to get better. Rolling dice. And how could it get any better? Yeah. Uh, not how could it, how can it become better? Okay. Let's go okay, with that. Go. Yeah. And that's the rolling dice will be taking their uh, annual Christmas break because Christmas occurs every year. Okay. Anyway, so we'll have that coming up and uh, we got to, I don't know. I need to look at the calendar and see what's scheduled. What we, what our releases are. Do we have two or two more or just one more? We need to look at it. We always have our anniversary episode. We'll probably be doing some giveaways as normal. And we always do our survey because we like to get feedback Aww. from the people. Really? <laughs> can we print out a receipt and people can go to the survey if they just look at the bottom of the receipt and then we can circle it? What? 
when you go to a store and you get a receipt. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But you have to answer it like 24 hours and you get like a free biscuit or something like that. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's only two surveys I do, McDonald's and Bojangles. Those are the only two I get because I get a free sausage biscuit for either one of them if I fill out their surveys. Okay. But I can tell things are getting cheaper because I think I now get a, just a drink at McDonald's. I, I just know that by the time this episode comes out, we're just about a week away from McRib. December 3rd. Oh, I'm man. so excited. If we were ever to get together and have two McRibs, you would see two totally different reactions. You don't like McRibs? No. Everybody says that there's either those that love them yep. and those that just don't like them. Is it the thought of it or is it the taste? Both. Okay. Okay. That's plain. That's where it's at. Oh, it's it's kind of like a, you know. Whenever I bite in that, I'm just rolling my dice <laughs> and taking my names. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, come join our Discord channel or follow us on social media at Dyson Names for Instagram and Twitter. Come join our BG Guild One Five Eight Nine. Follow us on Facebook. We'll see y'all in December. Three, two, one. No. Maybe. You can count. Well done. (laughs) How long we've been doing this? TheBrokenToken.com is where you get all those beautiful inserts and some 3D models and just all kinds of neat stuff over at TheBrokenToken.com. They are one of the <laughs> few. Don't laugh at me. I'm just trying to bring us down. We, we had a lot of energy in this show. Now we're doing The Broken Token, the last commercial of the show. Sorry. Okay, it's all right. TheBrokenToken.com. Except, except, the, except the music that's playing is kind of upbeat. Oh, okay. See, I don't even pay attention to that anymore when I'm doing the show notes. So anyway, go over to thebrokentoken.com to get your insert needs. I know you're going to be tired of hearing us say this, but yeah, that holiday season is coming and they've got something that the gamer in your life needs. Or better yet, if you're not going to get around, you might want to treat yourself to one of those fine inserts that they have. They're hefty. They're secure. They can really secure those living card games, especially if you're into Marvel Champions shoot go get that coupon for hobby lobby get that art deco case rip it apart except for the outer shell and stick that living card game insert in there and you are set to go those cards are secure easy to carry around and you look important carrying that case around and they also have a 2020 holiday guide that's up right now showing you that when you need to order by in order to get it by christmas they have gift giving ideas gifts under ten dollars gifts under 25 and gifts under 50 that's right there on their front page So be sure to check them out at thebrokentoken.com.